All right, welcome to another episode of Double Coverage. It's been a really long time. Uh, I'm Adi, as always. Joining me is Sam Wagner. How are you doing, man? It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been like three months almost. It's been quite a long time, but the good news is that we're actually in the same building this time, so it should be a little bit smoother process. That is true. We are recording live from the nation's capital in the District of Columbia. Um, We have a pretty good lineup for today. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open, the MLB, the NFL, and some international basketball. Before we do, uh, we're going to give some quick hits of stuff that we wanted to mention, uh, but we aren't going to get that into. Uh, My first one is that the NBA has banned, quote, ninja-style headwear, uh, which includes Jimmy Butler's, like, headband-type situation. Not sure why. I assume it's a safety thing, but we will no longer see that this season, which is tragic. How does not wearing a headband make you safer? I think the idea is that it, like, tugs, if someone tugs on it or something like that, but... It, do they allow wristbands? They they do still allow wristbands, Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, NBA's official statement says uh, they have raised concerns regarding safety and consistency of size, length, and how they are tied. So All I know is I don't think I've ever seen anyone get injured playing basketball due to a headband. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, and then, Sam, we can, we can ping pong back to yours. Yeah, mine is a uh, pretty uh, brutal scare I got a few hours ago this afternoon on the Caps. Uh, somebody from the Caps organization tweeted uh, some news along the lines of uh, Ovechkin goes down during a scrimmage, is helped off the ice with no weight on his left leg. And of course, all the uh, replies and all the retweets are freaking out, uh, and me, if, and I am freaking out as well. But then li- two hours later, we get a quote tweet from the same guy being like, oh no, it's all right. Don't worry, he came off the ice and he was skating. So my question is, why would you not wait till the scrimmage is over before you let out the news of the injury so you don't scare everybody like you did? My assumption is that after getting helped off the ice, OV shotgunned a beer <laughs> and then just sat down or something like that. <laughs> That's the only thing I can assume. Um, and then the last thing that we wanted to touch on, this is really cool. Um, Elena Della Don has now been welcomed into an elite club, which is the 50, 40, 90 club, um, which is crazy. Um, This is like KD, I believe, is in this club along with Steph Curry. Um, Not too many guys uh, or girls in this club. Um, And she's doing it with just an incredible free throw percentage. Um, I think... You mentioned it was at it's at ninety seven percent. It's the exact number is ninety seven point four, and I'll just like to note that she's the first woman to do it. That is true. Yeah, the first player in WNBA history. Um, her numbers, by the way, I'll just get into it real quick. Uh, she's shooting fifty one and a half percent from the field, forty three percent from three, and as you mentioned, ninety seven point four percent while starting thirty one of thirty four games, which is also pretty cool. There's no none of this Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> load management garbage but um yeah i mean she's playing really well and you know there's a reason that she was an all-star captain this year in the wnba the 97 percent number needs to get a little more uh news coverage i think that's an unbelievable percentage that's yeah i mean that's incredible i i feel like and and i i realize this is basic percentages but like she shot 100 free throws you would only see her miss three times which is pretty incredible (laughs) Um, but we'll get we'll get into our actual stuff. Uh, we'll start uh, with the U.S. Open, which which just ended uh, yesterday. Um, both two really great finals. Um, we can start. What do you want to start with, Sam? Uh, start with the start with Bianca. I think that's the more compelling yeah. story. Um, yeah. So Bianca Andreescu uh, beats Serena in straight sets, six three. Seven five. Um, she now improves to eight and zero versus top ten players. Eight and zero versus top ten players. Keep in mind she's nineteen years old. Yeah, and her and her record in twenty nineteen, thirty nine and four. Yeah, I mean that's that's re- that's lethal, <laughs> absolutely lethal. You really don't. You, the women's game is a little bit different. The women's game and the men's game are different for obvious reasons. Um, but the biggest difference is the parity. In men's tennis, you're not going to see, we haven't seen really anybody win a major in the last decade or so because of the big three. Um, 
but in women's tennis, it's been quite the opposite. I think it's like something along something along the lines of like eight or nine of the last majors have been won by different people. So, especially without the dominance of Serena now, she might be set. Bianca Andreescu might be setting herself up to uh, dominate for a while, especially with an eight and O versus the top ten record. So she obviously knows how to play against good people. Yeah, and and I mean there was a an article that was published after she won that said the only person who was actually surprised or the only person who wasn't surprised by the outcome was Bianca herself just cuz she's a confident player and that explains her really good mark against yeah. really good uh, players. She did play Serena in the finals a couple weeks ago in Toronto, I want to say. And Serena had to retire from that match. It was 3-1 Andreescu and I saw that match, and even though you can't really put a lot of stock into it because Serena had to retire so early, you could tell that it was gonna be at least it was gonna be at least a close match, if not a easy win for Bianca. So um, she's uh, handled Serena both times she's played her, so that's definitely a good sign. Yeah, and Andreescu, I believe, is now fifth in the ATP rankings or the WTA rankings. That sounds about right. Um, Bizarrely, uh, Ashley Barty is now number one, which is just like, like women's tennis just comes up with new number ones every week. It it seems. Um, Naomi Osaka, of course, after she lost uh, earlier than expected, I believe, in the U.S. Open, a little bit earlier than expected, um, yeah, dropped the number one ranking. Um, but yeah, I mean the the game itself. Uh, I watched highlights. I know Sam, you actually watched it, so. Please let me know. But, you know, the first serve percentage is the number that I looked at after the fact. Um, 43% from Serena Williams to 69 for Andreescu. Serena's career average for first serve percentage is around 60. And it's really just, it's difficult to win when, you know, you're not even putting your first serve in place. And her win percentage on second serve was 36%. So it was a, a major drop off. The first serve percentage is the key, especially for a player like Serena, um, whose serve is so dominant and so powerful, especially in the women's game. If you have a big serve, you can win a lot of points easily. And uh, Serena's game, you know, translates well to that. So the fact that she was hitting so many, or such a low percentage of first serves was uh, definitely not a good sign for her. And 60, what was it, 69% for Andrew? Yeah, 69, yeah. On the contrary, that is uh, a very high percentage. So it makes sense that... Based on you could have looked at just those two numbers and predicted who won that match. So yeah, um, yeah I mean the other numbers aren't terribly far apart. Uh, I mean Serena with a slight edge on aces. Um, if you look at just generally the breakpoint percentage, it's not drastically different, I would say. But I think the consistency. I mean, especially if you look at both first serve and second serve percentage for Andreescu, the consistency I think went you know a long way for her. Obviously in this game. Well, Andreescu is very... I'm all in on the Andreescu bandwagon. I'm just going to be honest. So, I think she's really, really good. She's got all the shots and she's got a really strong mental game. So, I think she's going to go a long way. And she's yeah. only 19. So. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly young. Um, her her career prize money is about $2.5 million US dollars. And, like, almost all of that is from the US Open. <laughs> she, I mean, she has only... She kind of blew up this year. I, I mean, no one really knew who she was bef- in... 2018, so it makes sense. All that two and a half million came from this year. Yeah, um, and then on the other side with the men's, um, not too surprising to see Rafa Nadal win his 19th major. In um, I guess the surprising part was the fashion in which he won it. Yeah, it was a really, really tight five set match between him and Medvedev. Uh, personally, I thought Medvedev was going to win, or I thought, yeah, I thought Medvedev was going to win. I thought this was the time we were going to see somebody break through the big three, but it was not to be, and I was proven wrong. Um, it's uh, We kind of have to sit back and enjoy the fact that these three are just dominating for so long. And I know some people want to see some new faces in there, and Medvedev is certainly a face that we're going to see often in the you know years to come. So, uh, But we need to sit back and enjoy the fact that those three guys are still dominating even into their well into their 30s for Nadal and Federer. So. Yeah, I mean... I, I wonder what the numbers are for guys who drop the third and fourth sets uh, in majors. I, I feel like it's not that good, but I mean, I think Nadal really showed a lot of mental toughness to drop back-to-back sets. The crowd 
bizarrely, which previously hated Medvedev, ended up actually kind of rooting for Medvedev, especially in that fifth set. Um, you know, and he, I think Adal showed that he's one of the greats for a reason. Great mental toughness to come in and win that fifth set. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's he's probably going to hit 20 majors, um, assuming he's healthy for the French Open. Um, I don't see anyone else being favored higher than him. He probably will be favored over the field. Well, this if we talk about the the larger game, which is the majors, the major titles number that all three of these guys are chasing, uh, Federer is obviously up. He's at the top right now at 20. Rafa's only one behind him now, 19, and Joker's at 16. So, I mean, if you ask me, I think Rafa's definitely going to pass him. He could win four, three, or at least three or four more French Opens without breaking much of a sweat. We've oh, seen yeah, that. of course. So it's really going to come down to the fact is whether or not Djokovic is going to pass Federer also. And, you know, you could go both ways. I think not winning this one because of the shoulder injury is a big deal because um, he looked to be the favorite, the strong favorite to win this tournament. Uh, I don't know. Federer might end up being in third place is all I'm saying, which is not really what we were expecting to see, you know, not so long ago. Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about it, you think... Novak for the hardcourt surfaces, Roger for Wimbledon, mm-hmm. and then Nadal for, for clay. But I think Nadal has shown a pretty big propensity to win in these hardcourt, or at least go far in hardcourt. Um, he's also, I mean, he's obviously won Wimbledon before. So I think the days of Nadal being kind of a one-trick pony are over. And now he has like something in the bag along with a you know, fighting chance in three other majors a year. It's tough because he, if he does, we're gonna assume we're gonna operate under the assumption that Nadal's gonna pass him. Um, he's most likely gonna have at least thirteen or fourteen French Opens, and the problem with that is, even though you're right, he's not a one-trick pony. His number, his major titles seem to skew heavily in, oh, that, yeah, in that direction. So, even if he ends up passing him, which we're gonna assume he is, uh, I think you're gonna still see a lot of people claiming that Federer is the best of all time. Because yes. his majors are more spread out between the three surfaces, um, and Nadal's got <laughs> 14 French Opens out of his probably 21 or 22 majors. So yeah, I mean, and we'll see how Novak does. I think injury is definitely going to be a concern for Novak, especially. Yeah. I mean, he looked he he evaporated in that game where he uh, retired from, and you know, I we'll we'll see how Novak. Um, bounces back. He's Novak's easily got another six or seven in him at, if if he plays at his peak. But we, you just never know. Um, and then who knows? Maybe maybe the new crop of, of players kind of you know stunt stunt the kind of last push that these guys are making. And maybe these guys stagnate a little bit faster than we think we think they do. But yeah, I think each one is probably gonna pick up at, at least a couple more. You figure? I think Fetter's got one more in him. Not more than that. Uh, Rafa could win. Like I said, Rafa could win three or four more French Opens by himself. And if jo- if the the shoulder of Djokovic doesn't become a real issue, then he's got another five or six left. Also, so I don't know. You could you could we can still see these guys at the top for a while. But yeah, uh, it's we're gonna see. I think Federer. Is, unfortunately for me, because I'm a Federer fan, I think Federer's gonna end up in third place. Yeah, which which is all right. I mean, he's had a great career. So. <laughs> it's all right, but I'd rather yeah. see him at one. That, that's fair. Completely fair. Um, I mean, I guess transitioning, though, to the to the next era of tennis, um, we saw Medvedev. Um, we've seen some other guys kind of make pushes, um, but is is there a guy that you're looking at, um, you know, in, in terms of maybe taking the mantle after these, some of these guys, the, the big four, um, retire? Are we talking about only men's or are we talking about women's also? Uh, let's do men's first and then we can talk women's. Because I, th- I think women's is a little bit more interesting. Yeah. I think there's a little bit more going on. So, But let's let's okay. quickly touch on men's. All right. So for the men's, I think uh, it depends on your surface. I think team, Dominic team, is the closest by far of anyone else of catching Nadal for a clay title. Dominic team was my like trendy pick to win the French Open <laughs> and he I mean he made the finals and he's got know, a real lost, he's got so. a real game on clay. Yeah. The problem is he hasn't figured it out on any other surface. Yeah. I mean so, he, he is he is fifth though in, right. in the world so you know he's all right on other surfaces. It's a long clay season though so he racks up a lot of points on yeah. the clay tournaments but if so I will just reserve that statement. So I'll pick team on clay. On all other surfaces, though, it's Medvedev to me. He's got 
all the shots. He's a backboard out there. 6'6", he's got a big serve, because there have been plenty of backboard-style players. David Ferrer is the one that comes to mind. But David Ferrer is like 5'8". So yeah. there's only so much you can do. This guy's 6'6 six, six and can move really well. And he's got a big serve to back it up. And he's got a good mental game. So he's probably my pick. Any comparison to Andy Murray? Medvedev? Yeah. It could be made. I He first of all reminds me a little bit of Andy Murray. I, I hadn't thought about that, but it could be made. Um, and then, of course, the other guys who are in uh, maybe the conversation, Zverev and Tsitsipas. Um, Don't even get me started on Zverev. <laughs> Sitsipas, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do Sitsipas, um, didn't even make the finals of the City Open, which I thought was a little bit weak, uh, just given it was not a very competitive field. Um, obviously, the two guys who made it, Kyrgios and Medvedev, are no slouches, but if you're Sitsipas, I think that's, that's a final that you have to make. Um, Zverev just, I, I have a hard time really getting behind Zverev. Yeah, I th- there's I can tell you why you can't you have a hard time getting to behind Severa, but it's because he's not a likable dude. He's just not. He's very very talented, and you can see why he's number what six seven. He's sixth right now. Six. Yeah. So you, he's very talented, and that's why he's up there. But his mental game is the worst I've ever seen. The man can't win two sets back to back because he just relaxes after he wins ones and then loses it. So that's why he's never been able to go anywhere in these majors. He can't beat any of the good players, any of the top three. So, I'm not on the bandwagon. A lot of people love Severev, but I'm not one of those people. I feel like he could bizarrely, like, take lessons from Kyrgios in terms of maybe being a little bit more likable. Um, just because I feel like Kyrgios has similar mental issues. Yeah. Except people don't seem to hate Kyrgios. Because Kyrgios... Off the, course, well, off the court. Right. Well, because Kyrgios has openly stated that he, like, openly acknowledges his issues. Severev thinks he's a goat out there. But he can't do it. Like he just doesn't acknowledge the fact that he has these mental issues. So yeah. it's it's different. It's a little bit apples and oranges in that sense. But I don't know. Who are you picking? Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like Medvedev yeah. a lot. Um. I think his game is a little bit more versatile. Also, I mean, if you consider the fact that like there there's only one major on clay and and there are two on hard court. Right. That alone gives Medvedev the um, edge. And then the fact that his game is just generally better than any of these other guys. Like, it's better than teams of Arab, Sitsipas. Um, I don't put... I mean, Kenny Shakori's kind of old. Yeah. Uh, but it's better than all these other young guys. I um, like this guy here. What is he, nine? Kakanov? I'm putting my, some money on Kakanov, too. He's a real... Another big Russian guy. Uh, bigger serve, bigger forehand, more aggressive type of player, but he's he's something to watch. Yeah, tw- 23 years old, same age, same country as yeah. Medvedev. He so. and Medvedev are buds. Yeah, um, they're, they're going to do well in the uh, yeah. in the Olympics, I yeah. guess. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I assume they're playing doubles. That's the only... Uh, that makes sense. I would assume so, too, but you never know. They can break them up, spread the wealth. Yeah, um, and then, as promised, going to the... Slightly more, what I consider a slightly more uh, interesting field, the WTA, um, I think it's just a little bit more exciting, especially because we've seen Coco Goff, uh, we know that, you know, um, Andreescu is just 19, I think there's a, little, a more young talent that you can really get behind, mm-hmm. and I think the top is, isn't so strong that it's, it's like hopeless, there's a lot of hope, I feel like, in, in this... Um, in this uh, kind of yeah. area of tennis. And it's also because a lot of the players at the top, I mean, we're looking at the list here, Barty, Pliskova, Svitolina, all the more, all the older people at the top, more experienced people, aren't dominant. Yeah. Because oh, we're not also, talking wait, about when Serena. We say, when we say more experienced, Barty's 23. But she's been... So. <laughs> yeah, she's young, but she's been around the block a couple of times. I mean, maybe we're talking about Halep, you know? Yeah. None of these people really are world beaters like Serena was. Yeah. So... That's another thing that kind of contributes to all these younger players being able to do so well. Yeah, Andreescu, um, I guess is, I guess is probably the most promising young talent. Um, Coco Goff, I I feel like I need to throw up a caution sign for Coco Goff um, because she's been playing really well, but like she is only fifteen, and I think that there there is a lot more that she needs to show. Um, she got to the third round of the U.S. Open, yeah. which is, you know, fantastic. But if you're talking about a deep run into the semis, I think there's probably a couple more years of work there. So you subscribe to the John McEnroe uh, opinion, which, and he says that uh, she needs to not play any more majors, you know, for a couple of years. 
Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because if you, if she's proven that she can make some runs in these majors, so. Oh, I mean, I, I just play play in majors. Keep playing in majors. I'm just saying that it's it's going to take some time before she becomes more of a mainstay in, in sure. especially deeper rounds of the, sure. of the majors. It is kind of fascinating though that she, she she that she's even able to stay on the court with some of these. I mean, these are grown women. I mean, yeah, she beat Venus Williams in Wimbledon, so it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's very, very impressive. And I, so I will pick Andreescu as well. It's less of a sleeper pick nowadays, but uh, yeah, I yeah. think we definitely need to throw um, a throw a bone to the Coco Goffs of the world. So yeah, um, I she's not. Is she even in? Is Coco Goff even in college? She's fifteen. Oh, she's yeah. yeah, she, yeah. I mean, so is she is she even in high school? I guess. Uh, she, well, I assume she's in high school, but she doesn't play high school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was gonna say like. Imagine showing up to your like a high school tennis match, and it's Coco Golf. It's it's like the people who swam against um, like Missy Franklin. Um, yeah. I'm like at that point, you you might as well just not show up. Yeah, you might as well save the gas and not drive to the to the to the match. Um, but yeah, I mean, I th- I think tennis is often slept on. Uh, I was actually just talking to to my sister the other day, and she was talking about how you know. She started watching tennis, and now she's hooked. And I think that if more people gave it a chance, I think more people would be into tennis. It's good that you say that, though, because you never really played it, you know, as a kid. So I like, never played, been, yeah. Right, so it's that's good that you say that. I played it my whole life, so it makes sense that I follow it. So, But the fact that you like it and haven't played it is a good sign. Yeah, uh, and we both uh, were lucky enough to go to the City Open, um, which is a great event here in D.C., um, it's really, I mean, it was solid to see some good live tennis. Yeah. Um, saw uh, Camilla Giorgi. Um, we saw, you know, Kyrgios. We saw Medvedev. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it was a it was a solid um, a, a solid day. Twenty five dollars. Right. Well, that's the that's to, the real key. We were at the finals. We saw two finals matches for twenty five dollars. Yeah, and the one one guy was ended up in the final right. of the US Open. So, and and those tickets were not cheap because I saw the guys who were there, and it was like Saquon Barkley, <laughs> and like I don't know how much Saquon spends for on stuff like this, but it's it, I assume it's in the several hundreds for the finals of the U.S. Open. Yeah, probably. The, it, well, it depends depending on where you're sitting. It could be in the thousands. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll go ahead and take a break, uh, you know, say goodbye for tennis for, for now. Um, I believe the next uh, major is the Australian. Oh. Next major is Australian in January, I believe. And then there is like the final, the, they have the end of the year tournament where you compete to see who's number one, essentially. But that's really it. <laughs> they, yeah. go to, they go to Asia and play hardcore tournaments indoors. So it's not a whole lot to talk about. Yeah, so we'll we'll take a break here and switch over to Major League Baseball because we we're, we're almost approaching October. All right, so Major League Baseball time. Um, it's September. We've got only a few weeks until really postseason baseball um a lot of the division races are already pretty much taken care of there's literally only one uh division race that's even worth mentioning that would be the nl central uh the cardinals right now are three and a half games uh above the cubs right now um the cubs right now are also in a wild card spot so i mean they're both going to make the playoffs but in terms of who's going to win the division i that's the only like piece of intrigue um i I don't know. I mean, what do you think about the fact that none of these division races are close? It's tough. I mean, it depends on how much you like baseball. That really comes down to it. If you're really a hardcore baseball fan, you probably do not like the fact that there are several teams at the top of their division and it's not close. But personally, I'm not a huge baseball fan, so it doesn't bother me. Um, I like the tight wildcard races. Those are always fun. So, I mean, there's always competition. You just have to find it. I, I also do want to note that um, as we close out September, the final ten of the final ten games for the Cubs, um, seven of them are against the uh, Cardinals. So I mean, it is kind of a legitimate 
you know, division race. But yeah, um, beyond that, everything else is set, and it does put a little bit of damper for the casual fan. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, the Cubs um, are interesting though, because how many of those games that you just mentioned against the Cardinals are at home for them? Uh, they've got four at home, three on the road. Okay, because yeah. they have a—they're probably the most streaky team in baseball right now in terms of home versus away. Yeah, it's they a, win it's everything a, at home and can't buy a win at, on the road. Yeah, it's it's an honestly an, an incredible, <laughs> an incredible um, win percentage. And like, I believe the Washington Nationals somehow swept them um, in Wrigley, and that was a like a massive deal, um, absolutely massive deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the Cubs probably win four of those games out of seven mm-hmm. and make up one game of ground. So that right. puts them at two and a half back. And then if you look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, the, the Cardinals are playing good baseball. The, Cub, the Cubs are playing all right. Um, I just don't know if the Cubs are going to make up that uh, additional two and a half game. So I think basically the division winners are set right now. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Which leaves the wild card. Uh, which is an interesting, uh, sort of interesting, um, you know, situation right now. The Nationals are sitting pretty. They're uh, three games up over the Cubs. The Cubs are one and a half over the Diamondbacks, which means the Nationals are four and a half games above not being in the wild card. Um, Fangraphs, I believe, has them at like a 97% chance of winning. Yeah, 96.3 as of... Monday, September 9th. Um, so they're they're sitting uh, pretty solid in that. Um, and then the other National League wildcard spot is really, I, I guess, the four teams that are in it are the Cubs, D-backs, Brewers, and Phillies. Um, the Phillies are two games back. They're, they're the furthest back, uh, and the Cubs have it right now. Of those four teams that you just mentioned, who do you think has the best shot at beating the Nets? That's a really good question. Uh, I would say the Cubs... Um, I'm not. I just don't believe in the Diamondbacks or the Brewers. Um, I believe the Nationals have done fine against the Phillies, um, especially at home. And the Nationals are going to play this game at home. That uh, that one game pl- um, playoff at home. Um, so I, I would probably have to lean the Cubs. I I think you're right. I would also be a little bit worried about the Phillies. I don't know that we've necessarily dominated them. Also, Aaron Nola is scary. So in a one game playoff. I wouldn't want to face who Aaron you, Nola. Who, who do the Nationals put on the mound in a that, one-game playoff? Yeah, that's the real question. I mean, who, who do you think ends up there? Um, because it, it's staring us in the face yeah. right now as Nats fans. The, well, the, the gut answer is Scherzer. That's what the, I mean, three-time Cy Young winner. So, I mean, you'd think they put him there. But Strasburg's the one that's having the better season. Yeah. But, I mean, so, I mean, it's a good problem to have, no doubt. Um... I, I'm leaning towards Strasburg, to be honest. And that way you can save Scherzer for if you win it, you know, game one, theoretically, against the Dodgers. That's what I was thinking, because how much worse, really, is Strasburg right. compared to... Even if he is worse, right? Yeah. Even if he is worse, he's probably not that much worse, so you're still putting an ace on the mound. You're still doing really well, and, and now you're probably going to play the Dodgers, and you have a fighting chance, because you can put Scherzer up against uh, Ryu, who is, who is who I'm, I'm assuming... The Dodgers are putting up uh, yeah. number one, not Kershaw. The yeah, if you if you project it forward, and this is a big if, but if we are going to assume they're going to beat the Cubs in the wild card game and they have to play the Dodgers, if you throw shirt or sorry, if you throw Strasburg on the mound in the wild card game, that leaves you with Scherzer game one, Corbin game two, and I assume you go back to Scherzer for game three. Yeah, and then you or sorry, you go back to Strasburg game three. Yeah, and then Annabelle Sanchez game cool. four. Yeah, and then you can um, put Strasburg back or Scherzer back for game yeah, five. Exactly. So so yeah. That would set you up nicely for a Dodgers series. Yeah, I mean obviously the bullpen is likely gonna blow it, but you know, <laughs> there there's not too much you can do about that. The Nationals, by the way, four and two this year against the Cubs. Uh, three and four against the Dodgers. Um, and then the other teams in the mix, they're two and four against the Brewers. They're nine and five against the Phillies. Okay. That's better than I thought. Yeah, so I mean the Philly that that's a series you want if you're if you're Washington. It's I, not I a think, series though. Here's the that's the thing. It's not a right, series. Right, right, the one game, the one game. But that's an issue though because they have the best pitcher out of all those teams. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think I, I wonder about the offense. I mean, I feel like they have a the Phillies have a bunch of streaky guys. One very famous one by the name of Bryce Harper. <laughs> 
but they generally just do not have that much consistency, so I think I'm okay with them playing the Phillies. I mean, I do believe it's going to end up being the Cubs, and the Nats just, I mean, they basically punched the Cubs in the mouth um, at Wrigley Field, and I think if that's got to be a lot of confidence, um, especially you can even give them an added bonus, and they play at, uh, play at home. Yes, I mean, the Cubs can't win on the road, so... That's another plus. Which is bizarre because I just don't think that home field home field is that big a deal in the MLB. I, I understand it's more the travel. Yeah, but, I think but it's even ma- so, I think I it's know. mainly the routine these guys get in. I mean, the season's so long that these guys get into a routine when they're at home and they just feel comfy and they probably just play better when they're in their own bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, we'll we'll go on then and do I guess just a simulated MLB playoffs. Okay. Um, so who do you have? I guess meeting in the uh, we'll we'll do we'll do the the league finals. So like the ALCS and NLCS. Okay. Um, I personally am gonna go with the Braves and Dodgers. I gotta go Dodgers. Uh, yeah, Dodgers, good pick. They look like. I don't know. No one's going to beat them. I I don't know, man. If anyone has a ch- shot to beat the Dodgers, it's the Nats, though, I think, with the pitching rotation they've got. So, I don't know. I'm going to be a homer and say Braves-Nats. Okay. Yeah, because it can't be Nats-Dodgers because yeah. they're going to play each other. They'll be point. in the... I don't know. I'm getting this backwards. Well, I guess it, it's still... There might be some jockeying. Nats would have to play the Dodgers first round. Yeah, exactly. So theoretically, they beat them and then play the Braves. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and then in the AL, uh, I I think at this point, Astros-Yankees is looking really good. Um, they actually have the same exact record as of now. Um, the Houston Astros do own the league's best run differential at 240, which is crazy. Um, that's just, that's insane. They've scored 814 runs, only given up 574, which, which is amazing. Um, and I've got them against the Yankees. I, the Yankees lineup is just so good. And I, th- I think we thought that the Red Sox were going to be really good. And the Yankees have pummeled them. They're 17 and a half games back right now, which is basically like your season's over. Um, and, yeah, I've got the Yankees and I've got the Astros. I can't argue with that. They, those two seem to have pulled away from the rest of the pack in the AL, especially with the moves they made at the deadline, too. Astros signed that. I'm spacing the name of the pitcher they got. It was a big one, though. They signed a starting pitcher at the deadline, um, just with- like they did last year with Verlander. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of what they do. Um, I, I don't know if you're referring to Cole, Garrett Cole. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he he's, was already on the team, but, yeah, we, we, might, we might have to go in and, and produce some supplemental <laughs> supplemental recording for this one. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, they're by far the best teams in the league. The Twins are five and a half games back on both of them. Um, but, you know, the Twins have kind of beaten up on their division, so I don't know if we want to give them too much credit. Right. Um, and then I guess the last thing we were going to touch on were uh, kind of just admiring how terrible or how, like, mediocre the L.A. Angels are, despite having Mike, Tr- Mike Trout. Um, this is a team that right now is they look like they're probably going to win, like, 70 games or 70, 75 games probably. Um, and they have the best player in baseball. So if you're the Angels, what what needs to change next offseason? What needs to change? Hmm. I, I It's tough. I mean, we don't really hear much of anything about the Angels being on the East Coast and the fact that they're mediocre. Um, I know that their, their uh, farm system is basically all but depleted. Um, so I think that's been why they haven't been able to muster anything even in I don't know five or six years since they've had Trout um, they probably burned a lot of picks on Albert Pujols as well which yeah, has yeah that's tragic <laughs> so that, that's so tragic uh, so I don't know I'm not really sure what they need to do I would say get rid of Pujols somehow I don't know how long how much longer he's on a contract with them do what you can to get his contract off the books um, and sign some younger guys yeah I mean I, I guess that's what literally any team with an aging veteran and yeah. no young talents blueprint. It's, it's is. not rocket science. Yeah. Um, and you know we'll we'll on that note, I guess just say, be sad for the Angels. Uh, Mike Trout uh, is obviously he's probably gonna have another MVP season here, 
Um, it's he's definitely up there in war. He's on track to beat his home run record by a million. So yeah, um, he's so, already the MVP. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll let we'll let the Angels figure that one out. We'll take a quick break. Hold on, before we do, the uh, pitcher we were mentioning was Zach Granke. They signed Zach. Oh Granke yes, at the, deadline. the former Cy Young Award winner, yes. <laughs> Zach Granke, uh, owner of the coolest glasses in Major League Baseball, <laughs> Zach Granke. Um, but we'll, we'll take a quick break, and we'll go ahead and transition to the National Football League. All right, the NFL Week 1. We're actually, we're recording this during Monday Night Football, um, which is the Saints and Texans. Um, right now, we're kind of, I guess, midway through. It's halftime. The Texans are beating the Saints 14-3, which I think is a little bit surprising. Definitely surprising and not good for my fantasy team with Alvin Kamara on it. Yeah, this game is also in New Orleans, so I think it's even more uh, surprising to see the Texans ahead. Deshaun Watson, 12-17, 129 yards and a touchdown, uh, which is not bad. Alvin Kamara... For everyone who drafted him, like, first or second in fantasy, Mate. has five carries for 16 yards. Ooh, a um, fat 16 yards. Yeah, and one of and he had one carry for seven yards, which is, you know, I mean, that's almost half of his yardage. How many uh, catches does he have? Uh, he's got four catches right. for 13 yards, <laughs> including a nine-yard catch. We're feeding off some scraps right now, but okay. Yeah. Um, so he's ho- getting some targets. Yeah, so ho- hopefully that'll improve, but... Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and recap NFL Week 1. Um, the ratings, by the way, are up. Um, just not, not drastically, but they are up, which I feel like is a big deal because I think especially off of last year's Super Bowl, which was one of the worst Super Bowls in <laughs> recent memory, um, they you know had a big rating hit for that one. Um, it's, I guess for the NFL, it's good to see uh, higher ratings. Um, but it's I, I don't know if you know it was the sports gambling that drove it or just kind of a little bit more op- optimism for this season. But they did do um, something right. The Sunday night uh, the Sunday night game was you know exceptionally terrible. The Patriots won I believe thirty five to three, but they still got good ratings. So they're doing something right. And some of these scores, you know, the Titans dropped forty three beating the Browns. The Ravens fifty nine to 10 against the Dolphins, Vikings 28 to 12, um, and then the Eagles 32 against Washington, um, Chiefs 40, 26 against the Jags, an overtime win for the Chargers 30 to 24, so scoring is, is they're doing quite well, um, including a 27-27 tie uh, between the Lions and Cardinals, so I guess offense might be back. It certainly does seem that way, and we kind of, and this was kind of the narrative when they started implementing all these rules about, you know, help theoretically making it harder for the defense uh, to make tackles and to make legal hits. And that's kind of the way we were going, and it seems to be taking place. Yeah, and I guess the, the guys who kind of jump out, Lamar Jackson, probably had the best day. He was 17 of 20, 324 yards and five touchdowns, and he also had a rushing touchdown. Um, so he might have had the, the best day. Um, you know, alternatively, a little bit disappointing if you're the Browns. Um, you know, obviously, all the hype uh, it was a pretty big loss. Um, and you know, I, I guess other guys. I didn't think Jimmy Garoppolo had that great of a game. Um, I think that was a guy. Even though the 49ers won the game, I thought he got outshined by Jameis Winston. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo had just 166 yards passing he also had an interception um somehow they still won the game which i think is a little impressive uh, but i think like week one you immediately see some people getting off to a good start yeah and other people with some work to do lamar jackson definitely won the right to laugh in everybody's faces after that week one performance everyone in on the offseason telling him he's just a running quarterback man four touchdowns throwing through the air plus yeah. an extra one rushing um and then and then some, and some of the, did you see some of the highlights of those throws he's like falling backwards and falling to the sides. These are some really, really good throws. He is an absolute athlete. He is an athlete and he's incredibly fun to watch. Would you take him? Yeah, yeah, I'd take him. Does RG3 not scare you? Does the RG3 narrative being here in D.C. not scare you? No, not at all. I mean, mean, listen, Lamar Jackson threw a lot of those passes in the pocket. He had 324 yards, you know, and, and I think 
he realizes that he can't be a running back. He had that quote after the game yeah. where they asked him about his, his performance, and he said, quote, not bad for a running back. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think he gets it. He, he understands, and he's clearly adapting. So I, I, buy, I buy stock in Lamar Jackson for sure. Okay, question that's not on the agenda. Of any of the young quarterbacks, who are you taking? That's a really good question. I guess listing out the young quarterbacks, we got – uh, Baker Mayfield. Does Kirk Cousins count as a young? Nah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Jared Goff is probably up there. Josh Rosen. Um, I yeah, I guess Dak Prescott. He he's he's pushing it. Yeah, I um, count I count Dak Prescott in this conversation. Yeah, Jameis Winston is probably in that group as well, along with Lamar Jackson. I personally am. I'm just kind of an establishment guy. Um, and I, I thought Jared Goff had a really good season last year, and I feel like there's no reason to go away from someone who's who has been successful in the league. That's fair. I think I'm taking uh, Baker. Really? <laughs> I'm just just the for the hype. swag? Not just for the swags. I'm not going to lie. Partially because of the swag. But I think he's got a leadership quality that I would definitely want for my team, especially a young team like the Browns that's trying to gain kind of uh, respect a little bit. I would want someone like him on my team. Uh, he had three picks against the Titans. Yeah. Um, his overall QBR was 27.2. Yeah you, so, don't, yeah, you don't have to read me the numbers. I know he was bad in that game. So I suppose there's nowhere but up for Baker Mayfield. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, uh, yeah, like, the he, the Browns were not terrible last year, and, and Baker was a part of that. So, yeah, I, I'm not completely against it. I just think that Jared Goff has a proven track record of success. I think um, he – Baker reminds me – has a little bit of the, a Drew, B, Drew Brees personality. I see a little bit of Drew Brees in him. I mean, he's just short. Well, that's part of it. But he's also got the arm and the personality of Drew Brees. Yeah. Also, I just want to say, just, just to, you know, not straw man your argument here, Jared Goff did have a QBR of 20. Uh, he, it's not like he lit it up. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just have more faith in the L.A. Rams. Fair enough. We'll uh, see. But, yeah, and then just moving forward, I, I guess we might as well talk about the Browns because who knows if they'll be in the news um, more. I mean, if they keep losing, they're probably going to drop because, um, I don't know, I mean, I think a big part of the reason they're in the news right now is because people want them to succeed after being so terrible. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., did wear a $350,000 watch, uh, but didn't really have that productive of a day. Baker Mayfield, we read out the numbers, not that great. Um, overall, the defense was deplorable against a Tennessee team that really isn't that good. So, I, I mean, what went wrong for the Browns, and what do they need to do moving forward? What went wrong, what went wrong for the Browns? was 18 penalties for like 180 yards. Yeah, That's lack of discipline. Absolutely lack of discipline. That's certainly the biggest thing. I think the secondary thing is that through the whole offseason, they ran their mouths a little bit. You know, they they bought into their own hype, which is fair to do if you win, but they did not win. And the Tennessee Titans heard that hype and were like, well, hey, we're a good team. We can beat, we're like, you know, no one talks about the Tennessee Titans, but they're a pretty solid team too. So I think it was a little bit of a pride factor. So I'm going to give a lot of the credit to the Titans the downside being the 180 yards of penalties from the Browns. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think another thing for the Browns is that turnovers, I mean, Bake, uh, we mentioned Baker Mayfield with three interceptions. There's just no way that you win because a lot of those points for the Titans came off of those those three interceptions. Um, Baker Mayfield also did get sacked five times. So I think you need uh, Baker Mayfield needs to be successful. He also needs to be set up for success. So the O-line needs to improve. Um, I think that maybe establishing a better running game, getting some play action for Baker Mayfield, allowing them to better utilize Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., who, to be fair to OBJ, still had a decent game. Um, you know, I, I think that things need to open up a little bit more for the Browns. Um, and, yeah, of, of course, discipline, I think, might be a really good starting point for that. Yeah. If those kind of penalty numbers continue, continue we're looking at the – Head coach, the new head coach with a little bit of a, a hot seat already earlier in the season. So, oh yeah, I hope I mean, for his sake that cleans up. I think the Browns have kind of forced themselves into a everyone's kind of on a hot seat just because, as yeah. you mentioned, they ran their mouth so much. If Baker Mayfield has a bad season, people are gonna people are gonna wonder. They're gonna be like, "Hey, you you got Nick Chubb, you got OBJ, you got Jarvis Landry. Where's the production?" And I think that you know they have now written a check and 
whether or not they're able to cash it. I mean, only time will tell. So, what's a what would be a, a successful season for the Browns? I think they they need to have a winning record. I mean, they they were what eight and eight last year, um, something around there, so, something like that. So, if if they are not that, then they have now gotten worse. Um, uh, what so what happens if they get they're nine and seven and then lose in the first round? That that's fine. I that's mean, a pro- that's a productive. That's a successful season too. It's been it's been so long. Oh, by the way, the Browns were seven and eight and one okay. last year. My bad. Um, but yeah, it's been so long since the Browns have even sniffed the playoffs. If they make the postseason, I mean, the amount of experience that the, that the guys get, um, you know, particularly Baker Mayfield, that that's going to be enough to get the fan base excited for the next season. I mean, they they. they I mean, it's been so long. The, the, the bar is so low in Cleveland. <laughs> the bar is low, but they talked it up. They raised the bar for themselves over this offseason with the signings and the and the mouth running. So I think I I would put the bar slightly higher than you what you have it. I think they need to win a playoff game. Well, here's my thing. Realistically, who are they gonna have to beat, right? Like if you they're gonna have to beat either like the Chiefs the Steelers, the um, Patriots. So it's like, in the even if they make the playoffs, they're going to be set up. I mean, it's going to be a really, really tough, um, you know, game in the playoffs. So, like, if the Browns make the playoffs and play, like, the Patriots and lose, I don't think anyone's going to be like, that was a disappointing season. And I think the same can be said for the L.A. Chargers, uh, for, the, for the Chiefs. Um, I think you could make a case maybe for the Steelers, so the, just because the teams are so good, I think people are going to be like, okay, well, you know, it was the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I see that. The problem is, though, that 9-7 and seven and a playoff loss is only marginally better than 7-8-1. and one. You know? I, no, it's, 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 no, it's so much better. No, no, it's, it's so much better to make the playoffs, especially for the Browns. Is it enough better to justify all the things they've done? They brought in, they demonstrably improved their team. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and it's, so it's, one game extra, I feel like, isn't going to be enough of an improvement. I mean, a wise man whose name <laughs> rhymes with Lamb Winky once said to trust the process, and I think the Browns. I, I think people are going to be patient um, as long as they show measured progress. I don't. I don't think. Like I don't think Browns fans truly believe they're going to win the Super Bowl. No, but I think they're gonna. I think they think they're gonna get close. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think making the playoffs is close. I mean, making the playoffs is a couple games away from being in the Super Bowl. You making know? the playoffs is only one game over five hundred. Yeah, but but I mean, it's a, it's still a big deal. Like I said, it's been so long. I just think the the bar is low. But I mean, you know, I I think your take is valid here. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see what ends up happening. <laughs> um, I still think they're gonna win the division. Um, the Steelers got smoked. 35-3, and, like, yes, it was the Patriots, but, like, come on. That's a dangerous... We saw a really good Ravens team with a really good Lamar Jackson, so I don't know about that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm still picking the Browns to win the division, but, you know. Really? You're picking the Browns to win the division? That is correct, at 9-7. and 9-7 and, and winning the division. Yeah. I mean, I just don't... Like, listen, the, the Ravens, we'll, we'll see. But you realize they played the Dolphins, right? Like they played the yes. one of the <laughs> they played the team arguably most synonymous with garbage right now in the NFL. Fair. That is fair that they played a garbage team, but they yeah. still did very well. So so call me after this three game stretch. They've got the Chiefs in week three, <laughs> the Browns in week four, the Steelers in week five. Okay. What so if they go two and one? If they go two and one, that's that's very respectable. Okay. If they go two I and st- one, I win, and if they go one and two, you win. Yeah, or or zero <laughs> oh and three, which I think right. is, is likely. They also down the their schedule do play the Seahawks on the road. They play the Patriots. They play the L.A. Rams on the road, uh, and then they finish their season with back to back games against the Browns and Steelers. So it it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows for the Brown or for the Ravens. And I want to see how it works. And how Lamar Jackson especially performs once um, the bye week hits and coaches have time to scheme against this type of new Ravens offense. Uh, but, you know, I, I think overall the NFL has al- it, it will always have a grip on the American public. And I think that already we're seeing good enough storylines. Um, a lot of injuries as well. Nick Foles went down. Um, obviously, we saw Eric Weddle. 
um, get absolutely demolished in what was kind of a gruesome injury, a lot of blood on television, which somehow they, they showed. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for, for as, as, you know, violent of a sport it is, it still captivates a lot of people. And I don't think the ratings are going to get worse. I think you're going to see more improvement, uh, this year from the NFL. I think you're right. Um, I don't think overall the the NFL is, has a good business model going forward. I think they're I think you would be selling stock on the NFL right now, though. I would be selling, yes. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Um, by the way, I just wanted to say that the No Fun League, the NFL has actually spoken to Odell Beckham about wearing the watch, and it was only a $250,000, not a $350,000 yeah, watch. watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. Uh, we'll stop talking uh, OBJ's watch, and we'll, we'll move into my favorite sport ever, basketball. You thought it was the off-season, but there's still more to talk about. We'll talk about the FIBA World Cup, and we'll talk shoes. All right, the FIBA um, championships is wrapping up right now. Um, the Team USA has somehow made it out of the group stage. Um, right now they are in the, I, I guess, the postseason or whatever you call it. Um, uh, they play in the quarterfinals against France coming up. Um, and then after, the, if they win, they will play the winner of Serbia or Argentina. So I guess basically Serbia. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on just because I guess there's two things right now with FIBA. One, there are injuries, which is always going to have an impact on whether or not players want to play. I think players have seen Clay Thompson's pretty terrible injury. Um, they've seen guys get hurt and then have it impact them in, in you know what they consider to be like their main job, which is the NBA. Um, so anytime someone gets injured in, in an event like this, it's going to be a big deal. Rui Hachimura has a knee injury. Uh, he is not slated to play. Um, Jason Tatum also injured um, and then other guys just kind of banged up those are the two main injury Um, but Jason Tatum was I believe out for two games Um, Kemba Walker is also out but I believe that's for an illness don't think that's actually like NBA related but I I think it's a big deal for these guys um, who are getting injured especially because it feeds into the second thing that's going on which is that no one wants to play for Team USA it I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a single game of the FIBA World Cup, and it's mainly because I don't care about any of the guys playing on the team. Well, there are also, not a it, lot of big names. It's also on ESPN+. Plus. Well, that's the other thing. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, the, I guess the biggest names are, what, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum. Uh, is Chris Middleton even? A, he's not a big name. Um, Donovan he's a Mitchell. Medium name. Donovan Mitchell, I suppose. Those are the biggest stars. And, like, you still have guys like Joe Harris who are on this team. And no disrespect to Joe Harris. As a UVA guy, I, I like Joe Harris. But he's just he's not a guy who is, is expected to be representing Team USA in terms of star power. And, like, some of these other guys who are on the team, Mason Plumley has no business being on a Team USA squad um, I, I just don't think Derek White is there yet. He's a really promising player, young player for the Spurs, but he's just not that big of a name. And, and it's just disappointing to see this team, especially when it's affecting them in, in terms of results. They almost lost to Turkey. And it, if you were watching a game, it was crazy. Like, Turkey missed four straight late-game free throws. Which, which is incredible, absolutely incredible um, that they missed four straight. And only because of that, the Team USA was able to win. And, and I think that, I mean, that's absolutely unacceptable. It's, yeah, it's just kind of sad because I would absolutely love to see a real Team USA with Steph and LeBron and KD and Anthony Davis. I would love to see that team beat up on all these other countries. That would be fantastic. I would love to watch that, but that's not what we're getting. And I think you're losing a lot of viewership that way, and that's why it's on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, and you're just getting low-quality games. Right. I mean, 
the the USA Turkey game, I guess, was exciting, but not in the way you want it to be. Um, you know, none of the it's not high flying. It's not like the All Star game. It's not fun. Like I remember, Carmelo Anthony scored forty one points in like eleven minutes or something <laughs> against Team Nigeria, and like yeah, it was a blowout. But people love watching Melo just drain threes, yeah. and that's not what's happening right right now. Um, yeah, Team USA just needs help. They all they were not playing that well against Brazil, um, and then in a game against France. They they're gonna actually have some pretty decent competition, and if they end up playing Serbia, I mean one of my favorite players is leading that Serbian team, Nikola Jokic, and there's no one really to defend Jokic. The best guy is gonna be Miles Turner, who is not the best defensively against guys who are big like Jokic or Rudy Gobert or Nurkic. Um, so it's gonna be a little bit difficult. This Serbian team also has Bogdanovic. A guy who can shoot the the he can really shoot at the ball, um, really well. And you know they also have Boban, by the way, the seven three phenom. Ah, but yes. it, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting game. And even if they do win, it's it's not gonna be a big moral victory for Team USA. Are you gonna Are you willing to uh, sit up here and give a really hot take that USA might not win? If they lose, they'll lose to Serbia. Okay. But they'll win. Okay. They'll, they'll win, but it'll be like kind of boring, and it won't be a decisive victory, and it'll be significantly worse than Team USA's in the past. And I think that's the issue. Right. Um, you know, that that's the problem that people have, you know. And at, at the same time, you can't really blame guys like LeBron for not want to, wanting to play. I mean, it's not the Olympics. It's FIBA. So you can't really blame them, but, I mean, this is just the, this is the case. I, f- I feel bad for a basketball fan like you that you have to – Support like this is all you this is all you've got right now. I, I know. Bad. I'm sorry. I know. Like I, I would rather. I mean, can we get the big three or something again? Like, I don't. Know. I, I would. There are so many things that I would rather watch. Um, but you know, th- this is what we have, and yeah, th- this is what it's gonna be. Um, they also, yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't mention this, but in an exhibition game, they lost to Team Australia. And like you know, you know the guy who really lit them up in that game. It was Patty Mills, <laughs> and I like like I like Patty Mills. I'm a big fan of like the New Age Spurs with like Derek White and you know, Patty Mills and everyone. But Patty Mills is not that good. Like Patty Mills isn't even a borderline All Star. Right. He I mean, is a he is a <laughs> player in the league who gets paid a reasonable amount. That's Patty Mills, and he absolutely carved up Team USA. Um, you know, so like I think Andrew Bogut was like a functional player on that in that game. Any team with a functional Andrew Bogut is not a good team. How is that like? How is that possible? I don't, Andrew, I'm like a, Andrew Bogut moves like he has cinder blocks glued around his feet. Yes, and, Andrew Bogut. He's he's like uh, who are who are other guys in that category? Kendrick Perkins. Yeah, yeah, he's in that class of player. Um, although you know, to be fair to Andrew Bogut, he did play. A crucial role to that 2014-2015 Warriors dynasty. I think you're playing a little fast and loose with the word uh, "crucial." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was a functional part of it. He was a starter on a championship team, and no one can ever take that away from Andrew <laughs> Bogut. Um, and you know, kind of moving away from the travesty that is FIBA, we will briefly touch on some uh, shoe deals, which I think I, I just find shoe, shoe deals fun because I think it's indicative of who the stars are supposed to be moving forward. Um, and I'll just kind of go over some of the um, notable signings. Zion, of course, signing a lucrative deal with Jordan Brand. He was recently in New York dunking um, in a expose or not an expose, a kind of an exposition is probably a better word um, for Jordan Brand shoes. Uh, John Morant with Nike. John Morant did not sit with any other company. He was he was Nike all the way, signed with Nike. Um, RJ Barrett with Puma which I think is a little bit bizarre, but yeah. Puma's making a bigger play. That one certain certainly seems to be the most interesting on this list here. Puma, not exactly a huge name, and they, they got a pretty good player. So Yeah, um, and then Nike getting uh, four and five. They get DeAndre Hunter and Darius Garland. Jarrett Culver and Kobe White both go Adidas, and Adidas already has uh, James Harden. 
and a couple other guys. So I think Adidas might be trying to make a bigger play here. Yeah, I mean, other than the R.J. Barrett Puma thing, I think it's this list looks pretty uh, as you would expect it. Yeah, a lot J- of Nike, a Jackson few Adidas Hayes to Nike. Rui Hachimura, I think, is the is the smartest signing uh, by <laughs> any company. Uh, Jordan Brand signed him, and you have to. It's it's just amazing. Jordan Brand now pretty much has a monopoly on star players in Japan, and that's a huge untapped market. Um, Japanese fans were they loved Rui Hachimura. Uh, Rui got almost as much press as Zion, um, and now Jordan has the lone first round pick from Japan. Uh, Cam Reddish, who was recently voted by fellow rookies to uh, potentially be the most successful in terms of career of any rookie. He's with Nike along with uh, Cam Johnson and P.J. Washington. Um, A couple of guys who are still undecided, Romeo Langford, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, the Virginia Tech product, Brandon Clark, and uh, the UVA product, Ty Jerome, um, and also Grant Williams. I don't know about Ty Jerome. Not to to hate on UVA, but would a... If you're the executive of a shoe company, you're not exactly looking at Ty Jerome and being like, we need that guy. Not the most most athletic guy in the world. It kind of makes sense that he hasn't have, doesn't signed yet. So Yeah, oh, of course. Um, and then uh, we got Darius Baisley to New Balance. <laughs> New Balance adding. New Balance. Yeah, I mean, New Balance does have Kawhi Leonard, so I think they're trying to actually be like a respectable shoe brand. Um, but to me, New Balance is... Uh, most famous player will always be the Red Rocket, um, <laughs> who who famously sported uh, New Balance shoes um, as if he got them from like the most the like the closest Dick Sporting Goods <laughs> right before the game. Matt Bonner. Um, so Matt Bonner, who's retired by the way, but he will still be um, the most famous New retired, Balance player. As are most people who wear New Balances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then I guess the, the guy that I'm watching in terms of who's going to get signed is Romeo Langford. Yeah. Uh, he's still not signed. And I just think it's a big deal because he is a Celtics player. And I think if you're on the Celtics, you're already in a pretty big market. Um, he's a talented player. He was a lottery pick. Um, so I think this is the guy that you're looking at in terms of if, if you're maybe Adidas or I think Under Armour definitely needs some more guys who are young. This is the guy I think you target. Yep, I would agree with that. I think we need to go back slightly. I know this is a not new information to you, but this is new information to me, but you've changed your tune on the whole Zion versus RJ thing, and I think that needs to be addressed. Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I need to set the record straight. Um, so I, I am not Team Zion. Um, I think that Zion Williamson... I don't want to say bust because I think that's kind of a big word, but I don't think he's going to live up to the hype. I don't think he's going to be anywhere close. Um, my reasoning is just because I phys- I don't think physically he is what people saw him to be in college. Like if you look at Zion Williamson in college, um, his game was predicated on like muscling smaller guys to the basket and shooting high percentage shots, which if you can do that, certainly do it. Um, but I think that in, in the NBA, there are guys who aren't going to let that happen. And I think that, like, I, I did this exercise with someone recently with if you name a, a top Western Conference contender, they all have someone who can defend Zion. So on the Warriors, you have the combination of Draymond Green and Kevon Looney. The Nuggets have the combination of Millsap and Jokic. The Blazers have Nurkic. Um, the uh, Utah Jazz have Rudy Gobert. So, it, I mean, the Clippers have um, Kawhi. The Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, they, like, there are guys who will make sure that Zion is not going to be able to simply take these incredibly high percentage shots. And as a result, Zion's going to have to either develop a shooting game, which he showed absolutely no indication of having, or he's going to have to become some sort of point forward, which it's not like he was Ben Simmons coming out of college. So I I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for for Zion. Uh, Is that a fair assessment? You don't have to convince me. I was already on the RJ train. Um, And I mean, looking at his numbers, they they weren't amazing. Um, He was a 33% 
shoot, uh, three-point shooter. Um, That's and, fair for a guy like him who doesn't really do it, but it's not like well, it's going to be good. I mean, I mean, if your argument is that his three-point shooter shooting percentage is good for someone who doesn't really shoot threes, I mean, that yeah, but, but that, that, that precisely is the issue, uh, that he doesn't really shoot threes. Um, he, he was not really an amazing passer. Um, for, like, all of his highlights are basically just dunks. Um, and, and I think we're going to start to see this become an issue. I don't, I completely disagree that Cam Reddish is going to be the most impressive. Like, who, yeah. I don't who, know who they, yeah, 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 I don't know who they were looking at. And they, all yeah. the rookies were like, I don't know, this guy's a real threat. I, I'm not sure what they were really looking at, but I don't know. Yeah, and, and I, I, to be, to be frank, I don't really know which one of these guys is going to have the best career. I think, I, I'm not sure about John Morant. He's just so small and lanky. Um, I wonder if he's going to be able to put up the same type of career that De'Aaron Fox has, you know, indicated that he will. Um, DeAndre Hunter, I think, is a high floor but low ceiling type of guy. Um, and then you have questions it, it going talking about Garland or Culver. Um, and, and obviously, like, if, if you want to go the high character route, you could try and say Rui Hachimura or Cam Johnson, but then they have, you know, skill issues. Where are they Are they skilled enough to be the most promising player? I think you skipped over the most well-rounded of all those players on the list, which is RJ. I think, if you yeah. ask me, I think RJ is definitely the one that's going to have the best and longest career because I think he can simply do the most things. He can offer the most value to an NBA team. Yeah, and ball and, handling, shooting, passing, rebounding, defense. So. An issue with RJ is that he's on a pretty garbage team um, that <laughs> is true. that is guaranteed to be run poorly. So <laughs> I don't know if if RJ is necessarily being set up for success. Like the only other guy I really respect on the Knicks is Julius Randle, um, and he's not that good. I mean, Kevin Knox isn't that good. Frank Ntilikina isn't that good. So I just don't know if RJ is being set up for success. I think if you look at a guy. Maybe like Kobe White or um, you know Jackson Hayes. Even these are guys who are in better situations um, that maybe could excel a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit difficult. I mean, just the nature of the game. Yeah. Good players go to bad teams. So I, I don't know if any of these guys are really set up that well. For I think success. I think Nikhil, Honestly, not to be a homer, but I think Nikhil Alexander Walker has a, a high ceiling. He's from what I from the couple years he played at Tech. He's a workhorse, so he just really, really cares about getting better. So that's always something you want to see. Uh, Romeo Langford, I've seen a couple of times. He's good, but I, I'm not so sure. He just doesn't doesn't seem like seem like he has a killer instinct. Yeah, I mean so. there there are a couple other guys. We'll note that Matisse Thybul has like defensive, like first team all defense potential. Uh, but he, he just doesn't have any offensive skill. Uh, Brandon Clark has been considered by a lot of people to be the best um, athlete in the draft. So that's also a guy who's worth looking at. Um, and then, I don't know, Jordan Poole, is, he's, he's obviously on the Warriors, so that alone <laughs> is going gonna, is gonna to give him some level of success. But overall, it's, it's, it's a little challenging. But you know we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I I don't want to get too, I don't want to spend that much more time on the NBA, seeing how it is the literal. I, it's like the dead zone of the NBA. But as my favorite sport, we have to give it some more time. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for for you know the yeah. last week. Um, for the summer, I think a lot has been going on in the sports world. Um, the summer is probably the most lame part of the year in terms of, Not, in terms yeah, of sports. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully the NBA uh, overturns their no ninja rule. Uh, hopefully Odo Beckham Jr. can continue to wear half a million dollar or quarter million dollar watches. And hopefully sports is still fun.